Good Father, we do ask that your word would be a, a lamp unto our feet and this beautiful light unto our path and that you would show us Jesus, your Son, and that your Spirit would uh, bear witness to the truth and the beauty of the gift of Jesus Christ freely given to us for us and for our salvation. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. So these, this past two weeks, there have been two uh, criminal trials that have taken up much of the media coverage, and both of these trials tap into some deep divisions within our country. What we're seeing is political division, we're seeing racial division, and we're seeing personal division. And as, as one jury came to a verdict and another hears testimony, the question that these jurors are asking themselves and a watching world is asking is this question, what is the truth? They're hearing many different voices presenting different messages and what they're trying to do is trying to get to the bottom of what is real. That same question, what is true, what is real, was asked at another criminal trial a very long time ago. Jesus had been brought before the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, and he was there because he was accused before Pilate and the government, and Pilate was the only one who had the power to execute the most severest form of punishment on Jesus, that of crucifixion. And so as Jesus stands there before Pilate, Pilate is trying to understand what is going on here. And so he asks the simple question, what have you done? And Jesus's response is for this purpose, I came into the world to bear witness to the truth. And Pilate hears that, and his response is very thoughtful and reflective, and he says, what is truth? And in the Gospel account, in John's Gospel, the, the, the question isn't just answered, it's, it's left to sit out there that we ourselves might be brought in and asked that same question that hangs in the air, what is truth? Because the quest for truth goes so far beyond a courtroom. It's, it's the search that we all find ourselves brought into. We live in a world in which so many different voices are speaking to us. So many different messages coming at us that it is easy to be confused and it's hard not to be completely overwhelmed what everything that is saying. But this is not a new problem. The community that John is writing to may not have had the kind of technology that we have to allow all of these voices and messages to speak their minds and their hearts, but John is writing to people a lot like us who are still asking the question, what is truth? Many voices, many messages, the same question. What is real? What matters? What do I hold on to and what do I live for? 
And as we look at these words that John wrote long ago, we're asking the same question. How do I, how do we know the truth? And in addition to that, how do we live the truth? Because ancient Hebrew wisdom did not put this dichotomy between what we know and how we live. For them, knowledge and life is intricately bound together. And so when we ask the question, what is truth? We're asking, how do we know the truth and how do we live the truth? And that's a question that John is getting at in these words this morning. And so I'm going to put it like this. If we are to be a people, individually and collectively, who know the truth and live the truth, there are three things that must be in place that are brought out here. We need to have first a healthy suspicion about the voices around us. Two, we need to test the voices around us. And three, we need to listen to the better voice of truth. So, healthy suspicion, testing, better voice. Those three, that's where we're going this morning. So first, to know and to live the truth, we need to have what we're calling a healthy suspicion. So just this past month, there was a huge uh, congressional hearing on Facebook that all the media was covering, and it had to do with how uh, this giant social networking uh, platform is handling information and misinformation. Misinformation is really a nice way of saying that people are posting things that are false and that are dangerous. But the problem comes in is how do you determine what is true and what is false? How do you make sense of what is misinformation, what is true information? How do you determine what is true in a world where everyone thinks what they are saying is right? And then for Facebook, how do you police this on a larger scale? I was looking it up. They have 2.9 billion active users. That's over a third of the world. That's getting close to half the planet. Has some connection to Facebook. And in some ways, their task is impossible of trying to police what half the planet is saying to be true and what others are saying to be false. John warns this community of faith long ago that they need to be aware of real problems of misinformation. He's saying that there are many voices saying many things about God, many things about humanity, about what matters most in life, and many of these voices are simply not true. And when he says in verse uh, 1 of our passage, many false prophets have gone out into the world. He's saying that that there are many voices that are out there that are saying things about God, about what matters most in life, that, that are simply not leading us in the right way, that are not in line with reality. When you think about a prophet's role in the Old Testament. They, they had a, a very important role in the life of the community. But oftentimes when we hear the word prophet, we think of somebody telling about what's going to happen in the truth, in the future. But their main role was not future oriented. It was present oriented. God was sending them into a very specific community with very specific struggles to tell them the truth about 
who God is, who they are, and how they are to live. And so this this danger is something that even Jesus picked up on in Matthew. He says many false prophets are going to come and they're going to lead many astray. Many voices, many messages. But not everyone is saying the truth. Look at verse 6 in our passage. He ends with there's there's ways in which we have to be able to discern what is a spirit of what he calls a spirit of truth and a spirit of error. Things that are true and good and things that are false and things that are dangerous. But when we think about truth, the concept of truth is something that has has come under fire in our day. And there are many reasons that go back centuries of of how we got to where we are. And I want to just highlight of two current struggles that our our greater culture faces when it comes to this concept of, of truth. The first is that the concept of truth has been moving outside of this realm of objective reality to the realm of what you could call subjective reality. In other words, objective reality says this is who God is. If I never existed, despite whatever I may think about God, whatever my opinions are, there there is a way in which God is. It doesn't matter what I or you think. That's objective reality. Subjective reality means it's more of, well, this is what I think, this is what you think, and put those together somewhere in the middle, or we're all right. That's that's the subjective form of truth. There's an old adage, there's there's truth for uh, you and there's truth for me, but there is no truth with a capital T. Um, That's that's a movement that's been happening, which makes it difficult to talk talk about this, this concept of truth. Uh, the second is a little bit more personal because we play into this as well. The world around us has seen claims about the truth and what the truth is used to gain power and hurt people. The church has played a role in that of using truth, weaponizing it or using it to preserve power, protect abuse do all sorts of things that run against the grain of God's design for how the truth was meant to be used. Um, I am aware of the gravity of what I am doing on a Sunday morning as I say, I am trying to tell you what God says. Um, The gravity is not lost on me of of what I'm saying I'm doing, and I realize the dangers that come with that of telling another person this is what your God says about himself and about you. That is is weighty. And when I think too hard about that weightiness, it makes me want to get out of what I'm doing right here. But the solution to those challenges is not just to take truth and just to throw it overboard. Because as much as we might try to do that, it just doesn't work. Um, Because every time we, the church or our culture says you are wrong about that, there is a truth claim that is being made. And so if there is no real truth, then all of our claims about justice, all of our claims about racism, 
all of our claims about equality and love are nothing more than personal preferences. If there's no truth, all we're saying is that me and my tribe think what you and your tribe is doing, what's wrong. And John following Jesus is showing us a different way. When I talk about having a healthy suspicion about what is true, that healthy suspicion is not a suspicion that just sees through everything that takes us in this rabbit trail of cynicism that leads us to believe in nothing. The healthy suspicion that I'm talking about and that John is talking about is a is a testing and sifting with the intent of not going down into the vortex of nothingness, but arriving at what is actually real and what is actually true and what is actually beautiful and what is life-giving. Because Jesus' message is different. I have come into this world to bear witness to the truth. So if we are to know and live the truth, we've got to have this healthy suspicion. And that brings us to our second point. If we are to know and live the truth, we have to test the voices around us, including the voices in our own heads and in our own hearts. Uh, In the epic poem, The Odyssey, Odysseus, he's trying to find his way home after battling in the Trojan War. And it's been 20 years And his journey home is just wrought with difficulty and danger. And one of the challenges on this great epic adventure is that he and his crew have to pass near what's called the Island of the Sirens. And and these sirens are these uh, beautiful, mystical creatures that sing these enchanting songs that lure in the passing by sailors in order that They would be kept there and they would starve and die painful deaths. Uh, Their voices are beautiful. Their messages are inviting, but their voices do not lead to life. And so Odysseus is told of this danger. And so he takes uh, beeswax and he puts it in the ears of his sailors so that they can't hear the voices. And he has his sailors Um, lash him to the mast with these ropes so that when he hears the voices, he he can't go running after them. He can't jump overboard and start swimming to get there. And as their boat approaches, here's the song that Odysseus hears. Odysseus, bravest of heroes, draw near to us on our green island. Odysseus will teach you wisdom. We'll give you love sweeter than honey. The words we sing soothe away sorrows, and in our arms you will be happy. Bravest of heroes, the songs we sing will bring you peace. When he hears those words, he wrestles to be set free. He demands that his soldiers release him, that he might go to these voices And his loyal companions come to him and they tie the knots even tighter. Here's the warning we hear from John. Verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. 
When John says, don't believe every spirit and test the spirits, he's, he's focusing on, on real flesh and blood voices. He's not saying there are these strange spirits that are wandering around that are speaking these things to us. He's focusing on these false prophets, which these real messages. But at the same time, he also acknowledges that behind flesh and blood voices are other voices of a spiritual nature that are speaking truth and falsehood. He talks about the spirit of the Christ and the spirit of the Antichrist, that which is for Jesus and that which is against Jesus and everything he is about and everything he stands for. And when he talks about testing the voices, he's trying to assess, are these voices in line with God's voice for you? Some truth some error, and we're to put them to the test. And the test that, that John puts forth, that we are to examine them, is simply the test of what do they say about Jesus. Verse 2, by this you know the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ, not his last name, Jesus Messiah, has come in the flesh from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. We've got to realize that this this test is tailor-oriented towards this specific community of faith and a specific struggle they were having, whereas there were some people there who had left this community of faith because they were teaching things that were against what had been passed down from John and the other disciples. So they were changing what Jesus had said. Basically, the message was Jesus didn't have a body like you think he did, And he did not accomplish a lot of the things that you say and think he accomplished. They're beginning to unravel some of the foundations of the faith. So if we step back, our situation is different. It may not be that specific problem, but the question still of testing is, what are the voices saying about Jesus? Who is he? There was a time where Jesus was talking with his disciples and he asked them, who what do the crowds say about me? Who, who do they say that I am? And the disciples answered honestly. They said, well, some say that you're John the Baptist. Some say that you're Jeremiah the prophet. Some say that you're Elijah. Some say that you're a good teacher. And then he looks at them. He said, who do you say that I am? And Peter, for, for all the bonehead things he said, this is where he, he speaks the truth. He says, You are the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, Blessed are you, Simon Peter, son of Jonah. That wasn't revealed to you by flesh and blood, but my Father who is in heaven made that known to you. This is the heart of the test. Is your Jesus the real Jesus? Not just this is what I think about Jesus, this is what you think about Jesus, but is is all of our understanding and vision and knowledge of Jesus in line with who Jesus really was, who he is, and what he has done. But how do we know if our Jesus is the real Jesus? And that brings us to our final point. If we're to know the truth and if we are to live the truth, we've got to carefully listen to a better voice of truth. So when it comes to God, there is much that is mysterious. We, 
we run a great risk of, of putting God into a small box and saying, well, this is who God is, and we understand everything about Him, and we know everything about Him. And others in response to that are rightly wanting to explode the box and say, He's so much bigger than you realize, so much more mysterious than you realize. But while that is true, we also have a God who is not in hiding. We have a God who is going overboard in revealing Himself to us. We have a God who says again and again, I want to be known. I want to be understood. I want to be trusted. I want to be followed. I want your heart and your mind. You read Psalm 19. He talks about how all of creation is God speaking to us about who He is. But the clearest way that God has revealed who He really is to us is through the gift of His own Son. The author of the letter to the Hebrews says it so well. In the past, long ago, God spoke to us through the prophets. Many portions, many ways. But here in these last days, God has spoken to us in His Son. Because Jesus is the radiance of His glory and the exact imprint of His nature. Remember, John here in this letter is not just talking about someone who has heard about Jesus from a distance. You think about that old telephone game where I tell you something, you tell your neighbor something, and it goes on and on and on. And by the time it gets to the last person, what I initially said is completely different than what they hear. Uh, the distance for John and Jesus is not this long chain of people and testimonies. It is one link. John spent years with Jesus. Talking, listening, laughing, following, learning, growing. Which is why in the opening of our letter, and I know I keep coming back to this, but it's so important. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we, have, we heard, we saw with our eyes, we looked at, we touched with our hands, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life has appeared, flesh and blood. We've seen it. We testify to it and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and had appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen, what we have heard, that you might have fellowship with us because our fellowship was with the Father and with the Son. And we are writing these things not to control you, not to weaponize, not to have power against you, but John says we're writing these things to make our joy complete or full. John's passing on what he's seen, what he's heard, which is why he can say in verse 6 of our passage, we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. John's message is simply this. Listen to us as we have listened to Jesus. We are trying to present as carefully as we can what we have heard, what we have seen about who he really is, about who he says. And I'm going to kind of wrap it up with this. And I want to focus on one specific way John talks about Jesus 
and his voice because he talks about it in a personal way that doesn't come out in some of the other gospel writers. The other gospel writers, they will address Jesus as this shepherd. But John really draws it out, the idea of Jesus being a shepherd and the good shepherd. He, he brings up things that the other gospel writers don't bring up, and it makes you think that whatever Jesus said about him being the good shepherd made a deep imprint on his soul. Hear Jesus' words from John 10. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they'll never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. When John says in verse 4, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. I wonder if in the back of his mind is this picture of this strong shepherd with this voice that speaks life and a voice that says, um, there is nothing that can snatch you away from my love and from my Father's love. And remember that this shepherd doesn't just speak truth, doesn't just say what's true, but this shepherd leads his sheep into life here and forever. And in order to do this, this shepherd will not just say good things. This shepherd will give his own life, lay his life down for the sheep that he loves. Because when we're talking about seeing what the truth is and knowing what the truth is, at the heart of it, we're given more than just the truth. We are given a Savior. The Son of God come to rescue us. Come to live for us. Come to die for us. Come to rise for us. When Pilate asked the question long ago, what is truth? The irony is he missed the simple fact that the truth was standing right in front of him in flesh and blood. And so the question to us is, is who is Jesus to you? And is your Jesus the real Jesus? And does it matter? Is Jesus' voice just another voice in the crowd? I want to close with an old promise uh, from the prophet Isaiah and a prayer that it would be a reality from us. Words long ago, a promise, your teacher will not hide himself anymore. But the day is coming when your eyes shall see your teacher and you'll hear a word behind you when you turn to the right or you turn to the left, always saying, this is the way. Walk in it. Let's pray. God, would you help us to hear your voice more clearly when we turn to the right, when we turn to the left, saying with strength, with love, this is the way, walk in it. And would you help us to see your Son as the way, as the truth, and as the life by which no one is able to come to you except through Him that you have given so abundantly and so freely. 
In your name we pray. Amen.